Dennis Stewart today on Health Naturally. We can take up that topic we started last <laughs> week. We, we will, Jane. We're going to take up the topic of cold weather and how to resist the onset of typical cold weather diseases. Health Naturally on 2NURFM and winter is coming. The Mm. days are getting colder, the nights are getting colder Mm. and that lasts through into the day. And every year, Dennis, you you take a look at some of the simple ways that uh, we can help arm ourselves against the ills from winter. I do, Jane, and it's uh, appropriate that we take up that topic again today because as you've said uh, winter has arrived and uh, my living in in the hunter um, certainly indicates that winter has arrived the mornings are very cold now i hold the view that um, seasonal factors do have an impact potentially on our health and most traditional systems of medicine see that cold wet weather brings with it cold wet diseases. I subscribe to that viewpoint. Um, I think there's a basis for it in the in our observation of life and the way in which traditional medicine protocols approach the problem. So I think there's a few things that we can do to lift our game, to use the expression, in giving ourselves a better opportunity, a better resistance perhaps, uh, to offsetting some of the things that will happen to us are being challenged by some of the viruses that will circulate, whether they be the influenza virus or lesser viruses, the season is a season that needs to be recognised and there are a few little things that I will raise and I raise them every year that I think can contribute to giving ourselves that edge. And this in no way at all contradicts anything that our good GPs are saying to us. This is complementary to what mainstream medicine says. I think it's particularly important also, Jane, for elderly people uh, to take on board uh, what I'm going to say because these are simple things and inexpensive things that can help elderly people. And I think as we get older, um, our immunity perhaps isn't as efficient as it was when we were younger. And as elderly people, uh, we become fair game uh, to a lot of things that would, uh, in, in younger people, perhaps not have the consequences. So a lot of what I'm going to say is directed uh, to my age group, you like, who can take on board these things that I seriously believe they can boost our resistance and give us an edge in wintertime conditions. So we'll work through these things together. But let me just say that in building up resistance, the most crucial thing that overseas and, and takes preference over anything else is that we see that food and diet and nutrition is the basis for building up resistance to infection. Any supplement cannot take the place of a good and adequate diet. And I say this because I believe, uh, my observations confirm it every day when I'm in the supermarket, that we are losing the relationship between good food, good nutrition, good eating habits and health. And if we are not eating properly and good food, regardless of what we do, our immunity, in my view, is potentially compromised. One of the most important things, and this is for elderly people, I say this, but also for younger people, one of the most important things is the role of adequate protein. Now, protein is is found very easily 
in some of our most common foods, meat and fish, um, cheese uh, and eggs. Let me emphasise eggs. I see eggs as one of the most efficient and inexpensive and complete forms of protein. And unfortunately, a couple of decades ago, eggs were marginalised and we were told, that, oh, they're not good for you. They'll do this to the heart and that. That has been debunked. And let me get over to people. One can get good protein from a simple, inexpensive food item, the simple egg. So for people that are battling in times like we are presently, protein still is, in my opinion, easily accessed inexpensively. And unless we're getting adequate protein, let me emphasise this, unless we're getting adequate protein, the immune system is being undernourished and then we become fair game to infection. So protein is the very first Absolutely. recommendation. Absolutely. Get enough of it. And, and look, if, one of the problem things today, Jane, is that we, we have a lot of people that are living frugally and we are seeing a lot of people, um, how can you call it, battling at present. And unfortunately, the, the foods that are being eaten by a lot of our dear colleagues in, in hard times uh, are foods that are essentially carbohydrates, uh, sugary substances. They might be filling, and they are good in, to an extent, but they are not protein. So it's more important for people to realise that uh, an egg is a better deal than, say, a bowl of rice because an egg is complete protein. Now, I happen to like rice, but it's a carbohydrate. And we live at a time when there's a carbohydrate epidemic. We have obesity, we have type 2 diabetes, and we have people who are undernourished because they're spending too much money, in my opinion, on carbohydrates and have not been adequately informed about the importance of protein. And this goes from nursing homes right through to our domestic dwellings. Protein protein, protein, the building block of healthy resistance. Health Naturally with Dennis Stewart. And Dennis, we're talking about things to help us go into the winter mm. with a bit of confidence about our health. Mm. Now, traditional medicine has, uh, has got a slightly different approach to things, but uh, spices are a big part of that. They are indeed, Jane. In traditional medicine, uh, conditions that we've already referred to as being cold, uh, wet conditions, typical of, of, of wintertime, they are combated by uh, traditional cultures having an understanding of what are called warming foods and particularly warming herbs. Now, this is, is not an unusual concept in most traditional systems of medicine. From it comes the idea that a body that's cold, a body that's fed on cold food, uh, is a body that is more likely to experience diseases characterised by coldness and wetness. Now, into this context comes the understanding of traditional medicine that herbs that are warming herbs have a particular place to play in building up resistance to wintertime conditions. Now, I know this sounds novel and a bit left field to mainstream medicine, but it's in our literature and it's in our practice, and I've seen the evidence of people taking on board this idea that at particularly this time of the year and in this sort of climate, uh, the use of herbs like ginger, uh, cayenne, those particular, those two simple herbs, curries being a good example 
of a blend of spices that have warming characteristics that the regular ingestion, particularly in, in, in food, but also as a supplement, the regular use of these is used in our, in our profession to help people build up somewhat of a resistance to colds and coughs and other viruses that circulate. I come back to the point, a cold body, a, a body that is confronted with dampness is a body that's going to experience more likelihood of wintertime conditions. So one, th one thing that one can do very simply is ensure that some of these warming herbs, and I've mentioned too, uh, ginger being p perhaps the most common and easily taken, it's a gentle warming herb, and it particularly affects the lungs. In our literature, that particular herb, ginger, has a bigger application in addressing the tendency for respiratory diseases than other warming herbs. Herbs, for instance, like cayenne or capsicum, that has more to do with the sense of coldness in the periphery. So if you get people that experience a lot of chillblains, or if you have people that experience a lot of cold peripheral symptoms, circulatory problems that are worsened in wintertime, the use of, of cayenne, either in the food or as a capsule or some other preparation, that is the way to go. Traditional cultures don't need to be told uh, this information as part and parcel of their diet and their lifestyle. That is why warming herbs play such an important role in traditional diets. There have been a number of papers written about the role of herbs that are warming, spicy herbs, two of which I've mentioned, ginger and cayenne, in being particularly beneficial for people that experience more defined respiratory conditions, bronchitis, bronchiectasis, what we call wet lung conditions. Warming spices have what's called a mucolytic and a respiratory trophic effect and that's why they're always included in formulas, even in our herbal medicine system, for, for treating wet lung conditions. So a person that is battling with a chronic respiratory condition for, for whom wintertime is a bad time, even taking on board the supplementation of their diet with simple herbs such as ginger, ginger most importantly, where there's a respiratory background, they can, in my opinion, lift their game quite considerably by taking on board one of the most common traditional medicine concepts. If you warm tissue, if you support the health and vitality of the organ that's under stress with better circulation, a warming of the lung leads to better respiratory functioning, particularly in wintertime. Now, I've thrown that out there so that people that do experience wet lung conditions, mucousy conditions, uh, chronic conditions, doing something as simple as that may give them an edge to improve the health of their respiratory system and lead to a less congestive condition. So that's an important thing to do in cold, wet weather. Our diet, our lifestyle should take on board the role of warming, heating uh, concepts, particularly harnessed in herbs, spices, that are warm, sometimes a little bit too challenging, but at the end of the day, they can be taken in a way that 
manifests the characteristics that I have said. That is a very important principle. Now, you're of, often talking mm. about the benefits of food uh, yeah. as food as medicine Absolutely. and using things. So ginger, of course, it's very easy, easy. to cook with. Um, Absolutely. And, and also, uh, and, and I, I think most health food stores would stock this, you can get very good quality ginger teas. Mm-hmm. And uh, ginger is not to be despised. In Chinese medicine, for instance, ginger is considered to have significant immunosupportive characteristics. We see it in our system of herbal medicine being very useful for supporting, as I've said, the congested respiratory system. But it can be taken in many forms. Uh, Unfortunately, in in our predominantly Anglo society, we still don't use a lot of spices like ginger in our diet. We should do, we should do, and this is changing somewhat, but one can get the benefits, particularly at this time of the year, by on a regular basis taking these foods, and they are foods, in a simple, inexpensive way. One doesn't have to spend a lot of money getting the value from foods and herbs that have spicy, warming characteristics. I know this sounds simplistic, uh, Jane, but I remember talking to a a chap uh, in Tasmania I used to do a, a program for a Sydney radio station that would go on from 12 to 2 in the morning. We were very, very <laughs> young people when we were doing this. And, I, and a chap from Tasmania rang up and, and said that he, he suffered uh, terribly from uh, what, what characteristically Tasmanian symptoms. Very cold feet, he said. I've suffered from them. What, what can you offer? And I just off the cuff said, look, you really need to start and use some, some cayenne. Uh, he said, oh, I don't like that, the taste of that. I said, well, look, go to your health food store, even the supermarket, and get some capsules of capsicum. Anyway, so OK. And about oh, two or three months later, he got back on radio and you thought that I'd, he'd have won the lotto. He's, he was boasting about the way in which taking capsules of cayenne had carried out what I suggested it would do for the first time he was experiencing warm feet in the middle of a Tasmanian winter. So there it is. That's a case study uh, validating what I've been saying. Health Naturally on 2NURFM and taking your calls. Dennis Albert has rung in from Charlestown. Now, Albert, you've got some problems with leg cramps at night. That's correct. Hello, Albert. Now, How are you, Dennis? How are you? I'm very well. Albert, have you been trying anything or doing anything? Magnesium. Okay. Did it do anything for you? I take it regularly, but I still get them at night. If I roll over, I get the leg cramps severe Okay. in between the, uh, the knee and the inner thigh. Okay. And well, also, that I just lay there and all of a sudden I get a cramp. Okay. I'll make, I'll make a few suggestions. I'm uh, 74, by the way. Oh, well, you're only a young man. Yep. You're only a young man, mate. <laughs> don't, don't, don't talk to me. I'll, I'll swap you. Um, but look, there. if you've tried magnesium and it's not doing the job, and let me just say that magnesium helps some people but not all people. Yes. Um, the fortunate thing about it is it's inexpensive and and, and, and very safe. But... In herbal medicine, wherever there's a cramp of this nature, um, we always think of of the American herb, uh, Viburnum opulus, that's its botanical name, uh, commonly known, however, as cramp bark. Now, cramp bark is not popularly uh, available in health food stores, although I think there are a number of products now that incorporate it under a particular product name. 
Um, you're at Charlestown, you could whip down to your local health food store. Um, they would be able to uh, inform you about this. But I would be most surprised in, if cramp bark didn't help you. If you, mm-hmm. if you can't get it as a supplement, you can always get it from a herbalist, a compounding pharmacist, um, a naturopath as a liquid extract. Mm-hmm. Now, yep. the, the one clue associated with using cramp bark uh, is also to append to it a herb that also uh, promotes improved circulation, particularly to the extremities. Mm-hmm. And so on, taking on board some of what I said a moment ago, as well as using cramp bark, I would also, while you're at the health food store or pharmacy, get some capsules of capsicum. Capsicum? Yes. Now, capsicum, uh, if you take it as a capsule, will bypass a, a lot of the gut. I actually like capsicum, and I, I would challenge anyone to beat me in eating the most uh, hot capsicum. <laughs> I don't throw out a challenge, by the way, but I do like uh, mm. hot capsicum. You can get it in a uh, in a capsule form, which is very, very um, congenial, and still get some of the benefit that it has in improving circulation to the region where a muscular cramps mm. might be yeah. associated with uh, a circulatory uh, yeah. inhibition. I so, can remember capsicum as a yeah. child. My mother used to stuff them with rice and meat. Yeah, well, how about that? That would do me too. I, I think that's great. <laughs> protein that's as great. well. <laughs> there you go with protein. They knew what they were doing, these oldies, you know. Yeah, they knew what yeah, they were well, doing. But you, right. you give that a go, uh, Albert. I'd, I'd be surprised. I, I also heard some, yes. oh, some a month or so ago yes. about cork. Yes. A okay. lady was speaking about yeah. placing cork in a pillow in your bed. Now, this is, this is something that uh, many people sort of raise their eyebrows at. Uh, and and I try to be as credible and as scientific as I can be, but there are many things in the in in uh, in the practice of of medicine which are still inexplicable. What right. I what I can say is this: I've been doing uh, radio programs for many 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 years, and I heard about corks in the bed when I was a very young. Um, radio program guys practicing Mm -hmm. and I thought it was just a joke but the feedback that I have had over many many years from listeners uh, has encouraged me to say look if everything else fails or perhaps if everything if you want to try something if you like easier than than, um, what I've said Try the try the um, the, um, the cork. cork in the bed. Mm. Uh, look, all as I say, all the uh, specialist physicians and others out there will be saying, "Well, yeah, I, I knew he was always a bit left field, but this is going over the top." No, well, no, no. Give it a go. Give yeah. it a go. And well, my father was very uh, into natural herbs and yes. stuff like that all his yeah, life. Yeah. yeah, how about that? Mm. Well, well, I mean, the old timers um, had their had their clues. I spoke a couple of weeks ago about what used to be very popular, particularly in, in the coal fields, with, of men with bladder or prostate conditions, how they used to grow and take regularly uh, parsley. Mm. And many of them with enlarged prostates got through yep. uh, by doing something like that. Mm. That has largely been lost sight of. But the oldies can teach us a lot. You, yep. you, you try yep. uh, the, 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 um, the corks in your bed mm. and uh, maybe try that first, then go for the cramp bark with capsicum as a second option. Thank you for your help this morning. Okay, thank you, Albert. And uh, good luck. Uh, Kevin is on the line now. Dennis from Curry Curry. And uh, Kevin, we're thinking about night time at the moment, Dennis, because uh, Kevin's got a problem with insomnia. Hello, Kevin. 
How are you? I'm very good. Well, I shouldn't say very good. I'm very well. Um, you can say both. <laughs> how uh, how long have you been experiencing your insomnia, Kevin? Oh, for ages. A long time, really. Oh, okay. I used to work shift work and everything. Oh, okay. And oh, I'm 80 now, but I've been retired 15 years. Okay. But um, the doctor put me onto these tablets, and I take one of the night, then yes. she told me to take two. Yes. But I was having nightmares, I mean, but they weren't helping me. Okay. Um, melatonin was the name of it. Yeah. Look, sometimes melatonin works, but uh, I'm, I'm not an enthusiast for it, but anything that is that is safe is yeah. worthwhile trying. But look, I'll throw in a few things. Let me just say that in my opinion, insomnia is not an easy condition to treat. Let, no. me, let me preface that. Anyone that says, oh, have I got the answer for this condition, I'll tell you what it is. Well, I would argue they haven't had a lot of experience in, in treating it or dealing with it. But right. in herbal medicine, um, one of the first herbs we think about um, these days um, is is the herb kava, K-A-V-A. K-A-V-A, kava. Kava is a South Pacific herb. If you go to Fiji, you're virtually obliged to drink it before you get off the plane. Um, uh, It has some very significant chemistry behind uh, justifying its use in this condition. And I have had some good results, not always. I've had some good results with people taking tableted preparations of kava in the correct dosage. Now, kava would probably have to be purchased from your pharmacist. Um, I have been told that it's going to be or may be available in health food stores, but um, your pharmacist would probably be better qualified um, to be able to give you a preparation in the right dosage because dosage is critical and he could even, uh, with his uh, computer, um, give you the dose that's recommended for right. treating insomnia. If you if you can't get that, you can always ring my rooms and they'll tell you what the dosage is. But you'd have a pharmacist up there that could give the information on using kava as a preparation to deal with sleeplessness. That's one of the remedies that we use these days. And um, it's it gives us good results, not always. The other thing is, uh, historically, in European herbalism, which has spilled over and now is part and parcel of, of Western herbalism, the herb valerian is also extolled as a useful remedy, V-A-L-E-R-I-A-N, not Valium, valerian. Yep. Now, that's available in an encapsulated form, and there are some compounds that contain uh, valerian, uh, hops, and a herb called passionflower. Um, those three herbs are frequently the basis of compound formulations, used to address this problem. Now, the other thing that I would recommend uh, to to you, particularly if you're going to go down the pathway of, of using any of these things, and this might sound a little bit way out, a lot of what I'm reading and uh, studying presently, and have done for some time, I would say, on the therapeutic possibilities of a regular use of pure honey, allows me to say to many of my clients and patients with whatever you're taking at night time, make sure you take, wait for it, a tablespoonful of pure honey with the supplement or the medication that you're taking. In my opinion, based on the experience of many of my clients and patients, that does help in many cases.
Right, yeah, well, uh, a couple of weeks back he was talking about chamomile tea. Yes, yes. I've tried that, but it doesn't seem to help me at all. Chamomile is very, very useful for what I would refer to as episodic insomnia, that is, people that are going through a crisis that aren't normally experiencing sleeplessness, they can use chamomile uh, because it tends to just quiet them down a little bit and it's very, very, very good, by the way, for kids who have sleep problems, but it's not one of our leading remedies for chronic insomnia. I would go down the pathway of the things that I've spoken about, go into Curry and have a yarn with your pharmacist there, talk to him about these things, and if you're going to go down the pathway of using carver, it is crucial that the dosage of that uh, be established. A lesser dose won't work. The right dose has a good possibility. Thanks for your call, Kevin. And we're moving to Whitebridge now with Tracy. Tracy, you heard Dennis talking about kidney java tea, yes? I did. And I wrote down some notes for my daughter, Mm. and I don't remember what it was for. Was it for endometriosis? No, look, java kidney tea, as as its name implies, is mainly used to address conditions associated with the kidney. Now, oh, okay, yes. Endometriosis, yeah, is not not a condition that um, that I'm aware of uh, responds to Java kidney tea. Yeah, the reason I would have written that down is because she only has one kidney and she uh, has hydronephrosis okay. of okay. that kidney. And in, um, in any situation, any situation like that, anyone who uh, was uh, in, intending to use Java tea who has a kidney problem that should always be discussed uh, with the urologist or their doctor. Java um, yes. tea is very safe, by the way, but uh, if there is an underlying kidney condition, um, you should or your daughter should inform her medical managers who can keep an eye on it or raise objections or acceptance of it. Yes. Just another quick question. Uh, the, I know that you discussed endometriosis. Yes. Uh, my daughter suffers severely from it. She yes. has two, two uteruses, so they mm. can never burn it all out. Mm. So she's always in constant excruciating pain oh, with dear it. Soul. Dear, dear. Look, I know a lot about endometriosis because endometriosis is frequently behind a lot of the infertility cases that I have treated and, and continue yes. to treat. Uh, one, one of my first um, patients I treated coming back to Newcastle before the earthquake to practice was a lady who had rampant endometriosis, deemed to be unable to fall pregnant, but using uh, particularly a herbal formula based predominantly on the Mediterranean herb known as Vitex agnus castus. Um, she was subsequently able to have children, and Vitex agnus castus, in my opinion, and, uh, and largely based and my understanding of the herb and my prescribing it over many, many, many years. And I don't like to uh, boast here, but prior to my beginning teaching of herbal medicine in Sydney in the, in the late 70s, the, the herb Vitex agnus castus was not being used and, and uh, not even known about in Australia. And was, was, at that stage was not really part of what we call Western herbalism. I discovered it, as I've discovered many things in, in, in reading. Reading has been a vital part of my herbal education. And I, I read a book by a, a very elderly uh, English herbalist 
always respect <laughs> elderly herbless and he was yeah. he was a brilliant man interestingly he had been a captain in the british army in in, in india and he was also an excellent herbalist that majored uh, on on um, gynecological problems and he spoke about the herb vitex agnus castus i took it on board and the rest is history if a lady is out there who is not getting anywhere and whose fertility is threatened and where the endometriosis is rampant, the herb Vitex Agnus Cassis in the right dosage and in the right preparation is remarkable. Two on your RFM's health naturally and a quick one first, Dennis. Peter from Hamilton rang in about cramps. He's not on the line now, but he says that a physio told him one of the best things to do is to stretch before or in bed before you go to sleep. Look, I would take that on board. Uh, physios are very skillful people, obviously, and who specialise, uh, amongst other things, in muscular and skeletal conditions. There is obviously some physiology behind that recommendation. Uh, it's not going to cost um, anyone anything to do it. So exercising before you get into bed or stretching before you get into bed is one way to prove um, the physio therapist recommendation give it a go why not and uh well jay is having trouble with his phone or our phones one of those but uh he wants to talk to you dennis about what herbs help you in your daily life now jay's just dropped out again so um we aren't getting his words but herbs helping you in your daily oh, life dear, oh dear, that's a big ask it's a huge topic <laughs> we might have to do a whole program on that oh, well look uh, believe it or not listeners i uh, i practice what i preach uh, and some of you that have listened to me over the uh, over the years would know that uh, there are three herbs in particular that I would be taking and see them fairly crucial in, in my life and my wellness uh, at this late stage of my existence. Uh, I use every morning and I take most of my supplements in the morning. I take a couple at night, but most of them in the morning. In the morning, I take the herb hawthorn berry in a very, very um, good quality form where I'm getting the, the berry, the leaf and the flower in the tablet. I take hawthorn berry because I believe, as uh, Dr. Weiss uh, has mentioned, and I've mentioned his name with reference to this, it is the herb uh, I refer to for the ageing heart. And my study on hawthorn berry allows me to make that statement. And coming from um, a, a family line, that has cardiovascular uh, disease in it, um, I take that believing as I do that it gives me an edge, if you like, a better possibility of offsetting uh, serious cardiovascular distress. That's number one. I also take the herb uh, Panax ginseng. Now, ginseng is Korean ginseng. And again, it's one of the three herbs recommended uh, by Dr. Weiss which I have taken on board for many, many years as a herb with the ability to maintain energy or vitality. Now, I know these terms are amorphous and to the purist um, that wants a biochemical explanation for everything, it's hard to, uh, to appreciate. But in traditional Asian medicine, there would be few herbs that um, are as good as the ginseng 
in maintaining wellness and vitality at every possible level. So I take uh, ginseng on, on a regular basis. Um, and, and a third one, uh, as, as you would expect, is for me to be taking some ginkgo. And I take those three as a starting base. Now, I think we might have Jay. Hello, do we have Jay? Yeah, we certainly do. Way, yes, great. Now, would you like to expand on your question for Dennis? Okay. Hi. Hello, Jay. Look, um, I've been... Um... I think we've lost Jay again. There's definitely phone gremlins out there at the moment. So... Um, had you got through your three? Well, they're, th they're, th they're three, and listeners would have heard me mention these ongoingly. Um, I've been influenced a lot by um, great herbalists, and I have said on this program, and I will reiterate it, one of the greatest herbalists in modern times that has helped me has been the, uh, the medical practitioner and medical herbalist known as Dr. Rudolf Weiss. And those three herbs I've just mentioned... Um, the, 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 the ginkgo, uh, the hawthorn berry, and, um, and the ginseng are the three that he recommends, uh, in my opinion, above all others, that should be considered in the ageing process predominantly. So they're three. I do take a couple of other things. I might take a multivitamin. Uh, I probably take it less, less frequently. Um, I take some uh, slippery elm occasionally, but not always. I don't take a lot of things, Jane, because uh, uh, my wife's a very, very good cook and we eat good food and uh, we're careful, not ridiculous about what we eat, but we're careful about what we eat because coming back to what I said at the beginning of the program, food is your best medicine and everything is built on food. And while we're talking about yeah. food, we were talking earlier about warming spices yes, and yes. Um, ginger and cayenne. cayenne yes. And I was wondering, ginger, of course, you can cook if you're mm, using it mm, as food, mm. fresh, or you could get the powder. Yes. Is there any difference in the benefit from those? There's a difference in as much that these herbs that have pungent warming characteristics have what are called essential oils. They're part of the chemistry of the herb. And they occur mainly in the fresh herb. So that um, if you cook with those herbs, you get a degree of those aromatic principles and the essential oil being carried over into the food. In the drying process, you may lose some of those volatile constituents. Now, that doesn't mean the product or the herb is degraded to the extent that it is not as effective. But in my opinion, there is some loss of the chemistry of the herb in the drying process. So fresh is probably a little better than powdered. I think so. And I, I think that these herbs are, are probably better when they're taken as food. Yes. But as I've said, um, as Anglos, we're reluctant to uh, take on board traditional dietary ideas. So the next best thing is to use them in a convenient process form. Yeah, convenience <laughs> is the thing. And as far as cayenne goes, yes. um, there are lots of hot hot there peppers are. around this there hot popricker. I, I, I challenge you, Jane. I challenge you. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like and it you, too, you know, Dennis. <laughs> you, you, you have to be very, very cautious. I remember uh, an example of this. My kids, when we were growing up in, in Gosford, they had mates next door and they used to regularly play uh, pranks on each other. And my eldest son, unfortunately, played a prank on his best mate, which didn't go over too well. And that was to give him what he thought 
uh, was one of the sandwiches from my dear wife, but my son had placed some cayenne in the sandwich <laughs> and the, ch- the young bloke took a big mouthful and swallowed it quickly and a friendship was lost immediately. <laughs> oh, well, that is health and naturally for today. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. Thank you, Jane. And we will talk health naturally again next Friday after the midday news. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.